Welcome to the Elevate Your Equity podcast, where we, as married busy professionals, leverage real estate investing to unlock the three plus one degrees of freedom, health, location, time, and financial. Today, we've got an amazing guest on the show. We've got Aaron Wong with us. Aaron utilized over a decade of investing and entrepreneurial experience to develop a strong track record of success. Within real estate, Aaron focuses primarily in multifamily properties through self-ownership, joint ventures, and syndications as both the sponsor and a limited partner. And he was recognized by the Utah Business Q magazine as one of the top 40 under 40. Aaron's also graduated from the University of Utah with dual bachelors in Chinese and Asian studies, along with a master of business administration. Sweet, a fellow MBA. And Aaron has a master's degree in management with an additional certificates in change management, organizational leadership, and project management from the Colorado Technical University. Quite accomplished, sir. Aaron, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm doing very well. It's grateful to be on the show. Thank you very Good. much. Good. Well, it's, it's good to work. All right. It's great. Great to have you on. So let's yes. go ahead and get started here. The first thing I like to ask guests, uh, just to get everyone a little bit more about your background, is uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you found real estate and where the spark came from to start pursuing it further? Sure. So I've always been interested in investing. I mean, always been in the business, as you know, you've read in my bio. Really, it was probably right. I always tell people around 2013 is when we started real estate when we purchased a house in San Francisco, a single family home that we, I guess, live and flip, house hack, however you want to call it. It was a 1960s bill, 1,200 square feet. You know, it wasn't really updated. It had done, there was an update done probably like 20 years before. So we spent three years working on that house. Primarily, I focused on the backyard because 1,200 square feet is not much you can do in the inside, right? So, <laughs> but there was a lot of land. It was, it was a big... It was a large land, large land, but just small house. So we spent about three years updating the house and uh, primarily in the backyard, just landscaping. And then um, after that, we, when we moved away from San Francisco, we rented it out for a couple of years. And then uh, at that time we were living on Guam and we bought a house and bought some land because we're going to actually build some stuff out there and try to invest because Guam is actually can be a pretty good, you know, investments because there's not, there's not a lot of housing, but a lot of need for housing. But then, you know, we had rented out our house in San Francisco for a couple of years. And then we we were right on that time where, you know, they get that tax benefit. If you have your, your personal home, you own it for, you know, two out of the last five years and, you know, you live in it two of the last five, you can get that tax benefit. Um, And so we're right on that point. We're like, do we hold or we, we just sell it so we can get, you know, get that tax benefit. Ultimately, we decided to sell and then we sold it, did really well on it, you know, um, it being San Francisco, right, in ish 2019. And so made off with, you know, pretty good uh, amount of cash. And then, you know, still I was really into like real, not real, real estate, but more like stock investing and, you know, fi- the fire community, you know, the financial independence retiree. I was like really big into that. Okay, you know, what are we going to do? And so I was listening to a lot of podcasts. My wife has always been, she's kind of always been kind of the person behind the scenes, kind of like pushing, hey, we should do this, we should do that. So she had yeah. been preaching to me real estate for a while. I wasn't really interested in real estate. I was like, you know, I think we just invest in stocks, we'll, we'll be good, or just in the mutual fund, we'll be good. And then I just started hearing a lot more podcasts about real estate. And then they just kept talking about bigger pockets, right? 
every single time someone would talk about real estate, they say, go to bigger pockets. So I decided, okay, I'm gonna go try out bigger pockets. We'll see what is this thing all about? Get on there. I started reading some articles. I did, uh, you know, join a couple of these webinars by Brandon Turner, read a couple of his books. And then I was like sold. I was like, okay, I want to do real estate and I, I want to go straight to multifamily. That's what we want to do. Small multifamily at that point, it was like four units. We're like, okay, we're going to go four units in a, and Midwest because we want cash flowing properties. And granted, you know, we're not living anywhere in the Midwest, but we're like, because you know how they're, they're like, yeah, you can, you can own property without being there. Right. And so, you know, we, we bought into that vision and we're like, we're going to do this. So my wife spent a lot of time online, you know, like realtor.com and all that looking for properties and, and located. So what we did was like within the first month, we closed on a fourplex, two duplexes and another fourplex in Dayton, Ohio and St. Louis, Missouri. I mean, so we just went all out, right? And because we had, we had all this cash, our, our, the sale of our houses in San Francisco. So we're like, okay, we're going to buy all cash. So we start buying all cash. So we closed on those. And then a few months later, we closed on another fourplex in New York, in Niagara Falls, New York. So, you know, just within a few months, we had just a handful of properties. And so that's what really got us started into real estate, I guess. That's so cool. So I'm hearing that a lot of this emphasis kind of came from your wife, like she was able to kind of like open up your mind a little bit to the potential world out there, right? Yeah. This is what's so cool about all of this. And I, I really appreciate you sharing that story because a lot of people, when they see people visible on podcasts or they're hearing about, you know, ways to learn how to real estate invest correctly, a lot of it is from potentially sources that you never expect. Like I started mm-hmm. investing on accident because of my wife, right? And my wife, mm-hmm. similar to you, was exactly the visionary that I needed to help like keep me anchored and moving through the process, right? Because I was really dragging my feet initially, but I was kind of going through the motions. And I, like you found, uh, there was a light bulb that went off eventually at one point. And what was really cool is that we followed a similar path to you guys where we just started, we were living in the Bay Area and we couldn't afford anything for, for us to live in personally, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We just couldn't afford it. But we could afford those fifty dollars to $100,000 properties out in the Midwest that were cash flowing. Mm-hmm. So we bought a whole bunch of those just like you guys did. So I'm just kind of really enjoying this story from the fact that I can visualize <laughs> a lot of what you said down yeah. to the fact of like your wife looking on realtor.com and Zillow. I did the exact same thing. And so uh, super cool to see all of that happening and, and that I'm not alone. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> so well, very cool, man. So now it seems like you guys are up and doing syndications. What are you up to these days right now? Probably about what's it, about five months ago, four or five months ago, we closed on a 200 unit syndication. You know, that was really our first one, our first big one like that. And so that was in Oklahoma City, in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And then, yeah, now, so we are under contract on a 76 unit out in uh, central Ohio. And so we're working on that one right now. So that's taking some a little bit of our time, just trying to get that done. So, you know, really on definitely on the active side of real estate, but this year, one of my goals is trying to be a lot more passive. Like I, you know, I've, I've made it like a mission of mine of just trying to be more on the passive side. Cause I like being passive, like deep down, I'm a passive investor at heart. I, I love passive investing. I'd much rather someone doing all the work and then I just, you know, make all the money here. <laughs> Who wouldn't? And, you know, so luckily at the end of 2021, you know, I just felt like I, we had a lot of money still in stocks. 
And so we just started divesting, divesting, you know, the last about three or four months of the year and just took 80% of all of our money out of stocks and just put it all into real estate. So that's, that's what we've been doing is just finding syndicators, finding people that, you know, had deals that we like, and I've just been putting money there. So that's excellent. Yeah. Yeah, I I'm totally with you on that. Like if I had a million, two million bucks in the bank, I'd be, instead of being on the active side, uh, you probably wouldn't be hearing us on this podcast. I would probably be doing the limited partner thing because that is really nice. Like that's exactly where I want to be. And that's the kind of value that I want to create for investors that work with us. And I'm sure it's the same for you as well. So let's go ahead and jump into the the main topic at hand, which is underwriting, right? Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that I've been informed of is that one of the things you like to do is underwriting and operations. So Mm -hmm. For the beginners out there, why don't you explain a little bit about what underwriting is and how it works at a high level, and then we'll get into some details. Yeah, so really underwriting is an analysis of a property based upon information about the property, about the market, and any type of information that would help you analyze whether the property is a property that you really want in in its most basic sense, right? And so, yeah, just making sure that you gather the right type of information and make the right type of analysis and look at trends. And I mean, there's a lot of things like that, that you have to look at in order to analyze property, but long story short, I think just to define underwriting, it's just under analyzing a property that you want to acquire. Yeah. And you're analyzing it to make sure that when you buy it, it meets certain criteria, right? Yes. So how would you approach doing this? Like, cause I'm, I'm putting myself in the shoes of a newbie investor, right? Or someone mm-hmm. who's maybe a limited partner and wants to get a little bit more detailed into understanding how this works. How does it work in general? Like, what does the process look like when you're doing underwriting? First off, I mean, you have to pick a market, right? You have to know where you want to invest. That's number one. Before you start looking at any properties, you have to look at a specific markets. And there's a lot of different types of markets out there. Kind of like, you know, at the beginning of our, of our conversation, I talked about, we wanted cash flow. So there's cash flowing markets, there's appreciating markets. And so, you know, you, you want to know what type of, what type of investor are you? Number one, you got to know what you're trying to invest in, what will fit your criteria. Because some people are happy with all the appreciation. They want to go for all upside totally fine. I like to go for cash flows. So I look for things that still have appreciation, but I want the cash flow, right? So mm-hmm. once you pick the right markets, this is something on its own, right? Other than underwriting, but I feel like picking a market is part of underwriting. So once, let's just say we, we get through that whole that, cause that could be a whole conversation on its own about picking markets. But once you underwrite, it's, you know, you got to have something to analyze, right? You need an analyzer of some sort. So there's a lot of different types of analysis tools out there. You know, a lot of these well-known real estate gurus all probably have one that you can use. And then BiggerPockets has has one. So it's taking one of those analyzers and then putting the right type of information that you want in there. For example, you're going to want like rents, expenses of a property. You're going to look at, you're going to want to look at their like their so some of the information that you're going to want when you're going to analyze a property is you're going to want rent rolls. You're going to want T12s, like the trailing 12s, if you can get it. So the expenses, basically you want to look at the income and expenses of a property, current income and expenses of a property. And then you're going to want to try to get information about potential income, maybe some, if the property is not, how well could you run the property? And so expenses, looking at potential pro forma expenses as well. And so taking these two numbers and basically bring, putting them together and also bringing in, you have to also bring in lenders, right? Their lender quotes and, and things like that. So 
So it's bringing all these numbers together, plugging it into your, your analysis, and then seeing what comes out of it. Like you said, making sure it hits certain criteria that you're looking for. Right. And exactly. So, mm-hmm. so this sounds like a very complicated process, right? It sounds mm-hmm. like there's a lot of research involved. And for those people who are not detail oriented that are listening to this podcast right now, maybe can you explain how underwriting is so important or why, you know, it's one of the cornerstone pieces of a business plan? Underwriting is, you know, it's, it's one of the cornerstones because if you don't underwrite or if the property does not hit certain criteria that you're looking for, it's not a deal, right? It's not something you're going to want to invest in. So the numbers have to tell the story, especially I think newer investors, sometimes they, they find a property or maybe they've newer investors have looked for a property for maybe, especially nowadays, especially in multifamily, you know, you can go a year and not find a property, right? And, and analyze property, get rejection after rejection or lose a property, get close whatever. And so they get emotionally attached to a property. Like, oh, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm in. If I give this amount, I can, I can get this property, but you, you can't get emotionally attached to a property. And that's where underwriting comes in. That's if you do it right, the underwriting will tell the story to you of whether or not on the numbers side, whether or not a property is, is, is a good deal for you. And so underwriting in itself is an art right? It's, it's definitely an art. There's not a sci- It's not a science, like a step one, step two, step three, because just different ways that you enter the numbers, you know, it can, it can bring totally different types of returns for you, right? So that's why that's another piece why it's important to also, if you're not an underwriter, you still need to understand underwriting. You need to know how people are coming to their numbers because anyone can manipulate numbers to look like anything, Yeah, very, very well said. And I think that that's very true. We should revisit that point in just a second. But I wanted Mm -hmm. to go back to something that you said about rejection and some people that are maybe getting started. And even if you're in the single family game, you've done some underwriting yourself, or at least you've tried to buy a property or put some numbers to the property to make sure it's something that would fit. You've done some underwriting, right? I don't care what level. At some point, you're going to pass on a lot of properties and you're going to start bending your criteria, Mm -hmm. right? You're going to start bending numbers or bending things. At least that's the tendency. And that's, that's what people have to try to fight back. So what I wanted to ask you is, what have you done for yourself to try to make sure you keep that in line? How have you been able to not bend on your criteria? Or have you bent your criteria a few times? Or have you had to make adjustments? Let's talk through a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, I think if it was probably a couple of years ago, we were pretty set on specific numbers that we were underwriting and utilizing as far as estimating uh, certain costs and expenses and things like that. But things have changed as we see, you know, with competition, with, you know, with COVID now, there's just so much, so many people in the multifamily and real estate in general, that it's the competition is fierce, right? It's hard. We have probably not saying that we've gone super aggressive, but we, we have tweaked numbers a little bit to kind of help them fall a little bit more in line and be a little bit more competitive, but definitely there's certain criteria that we will not change that we have to stick to just because we know that we cannot get overly aggressive with our underwriting or else it's going to get us in trouble. And so you just have to understand that that's where, you know, I was saying how underwriting is an art. I mean, it's, it's totally an art. It's an art form that you just market by market, neighborhood by neighborhood is going to be a little bit different the way that you can underwrite something. And so just understanding that and let the numbers speak for the deal. 
right? You just have to let the numbers speak. Don't, don't get that emotional. And you know, we all do. We all get emotionally attached to deals and really want a deal, but we just still have to allow those numbers to speak. And we, we cannot be overly aggressive with the underwriting. Yeah. It's going to get us in trouble. Yeah. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about this too, because this leads into the second point that you had on the last thing that we talked about was that it's so easy for you to tweak one number. There's one number in particular that I'm thinking of (laughs) that can change the performance of the property projected from being a dud to being a superstar. Right. Mm -hmm. And what I wanted to talk to you about is how do you look at underwriting and how well a property is underwritten, what does that say about the sponsor? Like the way in which a property is underwritten and the promises that the sponsor team is going to make to the investors. Can you talk a little bit about that interplay there? Because well, I want the listeners to understand that there are sponsors out there, right? That you can put any number in the world on a piece of paper and then put a little asterisk at the bottom that says, you know, subject. obviously these are just projections, right? And subject to change. What I'm looking at is like, the interplay between the spirit of the sponsor and then the business plan itself and why Mm -hmm. just looking at the numbers may not be the right approach, or maybe it is. And so I wanted to get your take on that. I mean, you can't just look at the numbers, right? I mean, you got the numbers just have to speak for you. And I think newer investors say, even, even past investors, right? When when you're talking about past investor, you know, you don't want to look at the deal only, right? The deal is probably the last thing you want to look at. You got to look at the, the market, the sponsors, right? First, so I see, I mean, not, not to knock any sponsors, but I mean, I see, I see a lot of sponsors closing deals like almost every week and all the time, even, even right now. And I don't know how they're underwriting. I've never seen their underwriting, but just knowing the way that we underwrite, I, I just know that it's difficult to get certain numbers that you're going to want. You know, we, we definitely have our target that what we're looking for. And so we try definitely to be responsible and not be overly aggressive with what we're trying to underwrite because we know that we want a deal, but we also know that in this current environment that getting the 18, 20% IRR is is probably not realistic, you know, as realistic. It's going to be a lot harder to come by. I'm not saying you can't get them. You can definitely get them. It's not just going to be, every deal is not going to be like that anymore. I mean, I think especially with the way, you know, everything's compressing nowadays, it's, I mean, we should probably be looking at a lot lower returns nowadays. And I think anything higher, too high is, you know, we got to be a little bit leery of those types of deals and just really understand the underwriting that that's going on. That sounds great. That's good advice and echo that completely. So I completely agree with all of it. Let's say that we have a limited partner that's involved and wants to invest in a deal. How would you advise someone from an underwriting perspective as a limited partner to evaluate a deal, whether or not they're going to invest in, and if they only loosely know the operator? Well, I think you definitely, you're going to ask questions, right? Definitely ask questions of the operator. I mean, you are, and this is the way I look at our limited partners is you're a partner, you're an owner of this property as well. So you have all the rights to look at the underwriting. You have all the rights to ask whatever questions you have. If you're a limited partner that doesn't really understand the market, I mean, there's going to be a lot of trust. You got to trust that the operators knows what they're doing and that they have experience doing that. I mean, if you're trying to look at their numbers, a lot of times, you know, it's as easy as just, you got to be willing to do a little bit of research yourself too of that market and just know that, you know, are, are these types of numbers realistic? It's, you could easily reach out to a property manager, a broker, or whatever that's out there in those areas and just let, or maybe even, even looking online, you can 
you can do some simple searches. I mean, there's a lot of resources out online that you can look up rents. Hey, are these rent projections even realistic, right? There's a lot of those types of resources out there that you can look at, you know, websites that can give you at least ballpark. I mean, I'm not saying, I think a lot of times those types of resources are pretty much, they're, they're all over the place, but at least they can give you an, an idea of what to expect for rents. This is why I think as a limited partner, you can't just be totally passive. Even you're a passive investor, you can't be 100% passive. You need to also understand a little bit about underwriting and you need to understand how to underwrite, at least a little bit. I'm not saying that you have to underwrite everything, but at least understand that when you're looking at their underwriting, that the projections that they have, maybe the rent growth that they have projected, are these really realistic, especially in this type of market? Even though you're passive, doesn't mean that you're totally hands off. You still got to really understand for yourself, are these realistic numbers? And do a little bit of research. Yeah, I like. I think that's really good advice. I mean, there's nothing stopping a limited partner from reaching out and trying to get some more information from people in the market. And even going as far as asking the sponsor or asking whoever it is that you're working with, with the investment to see if you can talk with the property manager themselves, or at least a representative to start asking them a little bit more details and kind of go directly to the person that's managing the day-to-day operations. I think that's incredible advice. I'm going to do a little bit of like a, a tiny shift here. And I want to kind of talk a little bit about the operations side for what you're doing with your properties right now. Because right now you have a little under 300 units right now as a syndication kind of under your purview, basically. So let's talk about how underwriting and operations relate to one another. Is there anything in underwriting that you're doing that relates out to operations and vice versa? So when you're doing underwriting, how does operations play into that? And then how does underwriting play out into the operations? So when you're doing the underwriting, right, you're going to have a lot of projections, especially like your pro forma income and expenses and net income. So the, the underwriting spreadsheet that we're using, we can split this out in a month right? It goes up to 10 years, but you can break it down into months. And so when we're looking at our operations, you know, we, I, I'm looking at these things every week and then every month we're, we're putting numbers together and then we can look at our projections every month and we can go side by side. This is our projections. This is actual. And we can see where we're doing better, where we're high or where we're, we're low and where, where do we need to improve? That's where underwriting is very important because we can see, Hey, how close are we on our projections? And where are we a little bit off and what do we need to improve on? So that that's actually very helpful um, when we're looking at our operations overall, especially on the underwriting side. Yeah, absolutely. Now, how would you say too, what do you guys look for in a property nowadays, now that you have operational experience and you have the underwriting experience under your belt? Really what we're looking for, we, we have specific areas. I mean, when we first started this, we were kind of shotgunning it. And, you know, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's natural, dude. It's okay. Yeah, it is because <laughs> you're trying to figure out where do I want to go, right? And so we, we learned the hard way, I would say, <laughs> that shotgunning is not the way to go. I mean, you got to pick two or three markets, a couple markets, whatever, and you have to build a team. And so for us, we built, we've got two locations, you know, in Ohio and Oklahoma that we have a team like on the ground team. And I can't emphasize this enough, how important it is to have a ground team that's, that's there and can actually be there and help you see the things that are on the ground and and walk properties and, and things like that. And so, so for us, Building that ground team has been important for us, helping us to focus. And then it's not a ground team that we just kind of 
call and say, hey, you know, it's not like a broker. It's, they're not brokers, right? These are actual mm-hmm. partners that, that we're partnering with that are also operators and investors. And they're the ones that build the relationships with brokers because they're there. They can do that face-to-face. By focusing on those relationships, then they're the, basically helping us find basically the funnel, right? They're bringing in the deals for us. And then my partner is over acquisitions. So he's, he's kind of developing those relationships that I'm underwriting them. Mm-hmm. And then um, if, if they look good for us, if it hits our criteria, then, then we'll move forward. And so really we're, we're looking for properties anywhere from about 50 to 150 units is kind of our, is mainly our sweet spot of, of what we're looking for. Excellent. And anything in terms of like, you know, rental rates or, you know, rent trends or anything else from the underwriting perspective that you think would be a unique takeaway for our listeners? I mean, you definitely have to pay attention to these trends of uh, what's going on in, in the specific markets. I mean, for example, even though rents have been increasing exponentially in the, in the past year, we have some property in Ohio that rents actually went down. So, mm. So you have to pay attention to those types of trends as well. So it's not all positive. It's not all going up everywhere. And so you got to be pay attention to those. And, you know, where this is where the operations side comes. And also with your underwriting is you have to look at your numbers and really understand, Hey, what what are the numbers telling you? And, and just being able to understand operationally, how are your properties doing? Because, you know, if they're not doing well, is it, where's the problem? If we can fix it, can we fix it? And do we hold on to these properties? And so that's something that we've been doing for the last few months as well Is we've actually been selling a couple of our properties just because our smaller portfolio, because we just don't want to spend time on small properties like right. four units, you know, or duplexes anymore, right? It's because the scalability, the scale that you can get into these larger properties, you know, the amount of time we're spending, on these versus a fourplex, right? We can we can probably make a little bit more. It's better use of our time. So that's that's where operations comes and just knowing your numbers. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, man, this is great advice. And thank you so much for spending so much time talking about underwriting, which is not a topic that most people want to talk about, but they, we mm-hmm. still do anyway, yeah. uh, just because it is really critical. And, you know, even when I'm talking with some team members, right, like I'm working with some capital raisers, I'm working with other individual folks who like to do the outreach to the brokers and, and do acquisitions. And tying it all together, like is the underwriting, because I really do firmly believe that putting together the underwriting is the pure expression. It's the most artistic expression of how you think the property is going to perform over a long period of time, given a number of factors, right? Like you're basically trying to see the future with this. And I think that it's also a reflection of the sponsor as well, how well a sponsor is considering all these assumptions that make up this business plan. And so I really like the microcosm that is this underwriting work and how important it is, right? That whoever the sponsor is, they know what that is and they know what the plan is to be able to hit those numbers. So again, wanted to thank you for for spending some time talking about the underwriting itself, because man, again, it it doesn't get a good rap, but because it's a lot of work, but it's Mm -hmm. so worth it because it can help you from getting into a deal that's too risky. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So What we're going to do now is we're going to head into the final segment of our show, which is called the rapid round. And it's the same five questions that we ask every one of our guests. And they're meant to be answered in about a 30 second time span. So if you think you can do it, and if you're up for the challenge, we should just go ahead and get in. (laughs) Sure. Let's do it. All right. Question number one, 
what book has had the biggest impact on you and why? And we ask that it not be Rich Dad or the Bible because we get that all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say, you know, I, I thought about this. I mean, there's obviously many books that influence a lot of people and even myself. But um, I think one that's helped me recently the most is the book called Traction. Yeah, by Gina Whitman. great. That's a, that's a great book because I'm an operations guy, right? I like systems and he, he really breaks it down to, to systemizing your your business. And I like it. I think it's awesome. It's very cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a book that is a must read for people who are wanting to become entrepreneurs, even before you need it, because it's Mm -hmm. usually it's meant for like, you know, mid-sized teams, right. But Mm -hmm. still very applicable for, even if it's like a three or four man show, right. It's very, very useful. Yeah. I mean, we've done it from day one. So I mean, we're not definitely not a large company, you know, large organization either. (laughs) Excellent. Love it, man. All right. Number two, if people wanted to emulate your success, what do you think is the first actionable thing that they can do to follow in your footsteps? I think it's understanding your why, getting your why statement out there. You know, why are you wanting to do this? And because that, that is what's truly going to drive you to get up every day, wake up early to do this, go to bed late to drive you to success and to, to reach those goals. Cause you need to know your why and with your why, then you can set goals. Cause I think, you know, if you, if you go into this, with no goals and just kind of, Hey, I want to invest in real estate. Then why? I mean, what are your goals? How do you know you've succeeded? I mean, that's, that's where the why comes. All right, cool. Number three, what is one tool process or hack in the last three months that has helped you save time and or effort? The last three months. I think for me, actually getting a CRM. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that that will do it. <laughs> yeah, that that's helped a lot. I mean, spreadsheets are nice. I like spreadsheets and everything, but actually having a CRM that's built for communicating and tracking customers, I think is is very important, and uh, that that's that's helped me a lot. And at least being able to keep track and knowing who I've talked to and and just putting everything to take notes and everything. So. Yeah, that sounds great, man. All right, number four. If the people that you know had to describe you with one word, what word do you think that would be? One word, man. I think that, you know, they'd probably say that I'm, I'm pretty laid back. Is that one word? <laughs> that is, that is. It's a hyphenated word, so I'll take yeah, it's it. High, it's two words, but it's one. It's high. <laughs> I, I'm pretty laid back. I don't get stressed very easily about things. You know, if something needs to happen, we just get the job done and, you know, we don't complain. We just kind of just go, just go do it and uh, just relax. You know, life, life is more important. No, no need to, you know, there, there's more important things in life than get stressed about things. So, yeah. Yeah. Very well said. I like it. I like it. That That's a good balance to have in the face of adversity for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Last question is what small thing do most people not know about you? Small thing most people don't know about me. Well, when I was a kid, <laughs> I was a model. Um, no way. And- <laughs> Come on, man. That's awesome. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was in movies and things like that. So, <laughs> Dang, that's so cool. Are you still getting royalty checks from that? No, 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 no. That oh, was, man. That's I, was, I was still like, yeah. But yeah, it's been a long time ago. Uh, I was like, what, between eight and like 12 or 13 years old. So, wow, that's super yeah. cool, man. I love that. Yeah. That's, that's a really it was, cool It was fun, story. you know. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Awesome video games from that, you know. So, enough to. <laughs> yeah, there you go, man. All right. Cool, man. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure having you here. But before we take off, why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about how they can find out where you have stuff going on, whatever is yeah, going on absolutely. in your world? 
Yeah, absolutely. So there's our website. There's uh, www.gwcapital.invest.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. And then also I have Instagram is uh, the recovering passive investor. I love that handle. That's <laughs> awesome. I'm looking you up right after the show, dude. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Very cool. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for being on the show and also for sacrificing some of your home life as well, because I can hear a little upset, an upset little toddler in the background, but we know that's real life, man. We know that this is a real show. So we thank you for for coming on. No, absolutely. Thankful for the opportunity. For sure. And yeah, for everyone out there who's listening to the podcast right now, I want to thank you guys as well for listening to the entire thing. And if you could, we would love it if you could like, subscribe, or just engage with us, make a comment, type something into the chat box, wherever you're watching this or listening to it. Really, really appreciate you. And we want to be able to take this incredible content and give it to more people. And so the only way to do that is with your comments, your likes, your subscribes, so that we can appease the algorithm gods and get more exposure to more people. So I want to thank you as well for listening. So thank you so much for uh, coming on, Aaron, again. We appreciate it. And uh, yeah, and thank you, listener, for listening. And we'll see you next time. This is Derek signing off. Take care.